Now let's give our attention to God's word this morning as Greg Driscoll comes and reads from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thanks, Greg, for reading. Let's pray, okay? Father, I pray that you would focus our attention on your word. I am so grateful for the songs we've had to sing and the prayers we've been led in, the things we've been drawn to think about. We pray we will hear your voice through your word. I pray for hearts ready to hear and ready to respond. So, Lord, you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And I pray that you would do so today for the glory of Jesus. We ask it. Amen. So I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I surely remember the night when my grandma Hill was living in a retirement center. And we, my dad and I made a stop to see her, make sure she was doing all right. And immediately when we walked in the room that evening, it was very clear that she wasn't doing all right. There were some serious medical issues. And things had been pretty stable for grandma. And things could kind of found a place where she was well taken care of. And yet it was one of those, one of those evenings, one of those days that just changes a lot of things. So ambulance had to be called, emergency room, and then just multiple things after that were just significantly different uh, for my grandma and for our family. Things that had been pretty good, pretty predictable, pretty stable, changed really quickly. And I am positive that many, if not most of us in this room, have had some, maybe many of those moments, were things that were once stable, once predictable, once pretty certain, don't feel that way anymore. Sometimes that brings wave upon wave of just what is going on. And sometimes those things, even physically or life issues, let's say not just some of the time, most of the time those bleed over into spiritual dimensions, spiritual realities where spiritually speaking, we begin to have things that don't feel quite as certain as they once did. Where our faith in God becomes destabilized. We want to find like firm footing, but we're having a hard time doing that. Doubts begin to come and there are questions that just seem to resist easy answers, almost any answer. Maybe your outlook on things shifts, priorities change. And maybe that isn't just something like, I remember when that happened, but maybe that's a season that you're going through even currently, where things feel uncertain and destabilized. 
You know, in Hebrews, you get the feeling just by reading it, and we've been in it for several weeks now, you definitely get the sense that that is what was going on in the lives of the people that were hearing and reading the book of Hebrews. You get that out of clues. It is like a letter, so it's one-sided, but it's not that hard to pick up. From the clues, it's not that hard to pick up. There were some things that caused a lot of destabilization. Tough stuff is going on. It seems like they're struggling with wavering and drifting and doubting, reconsidering. Maybe even those that pressed in so hard, it's just the struggle to even show up because the disappointments and the struggles become so much. So what could help them? What could the writer of Hebrews take and apply to their situation? What we've been talking about over over the last few weeks is several like really, really important things, not just for the book of Hebrews, not just for one set of Christians at one point in time, but actually all of us, we've been talking about how Jesus is a better priest, so much better is the title of our series. He's so much better of a priest. And we talked about how he has mediated a better covenant. As a matter of fact, a new covenant he's mediated with us. And we've sung about that even today. And we've also talked about he is taking us to the heavenly tabernacle, the, the very presence of God and how he gave his life as a once-for-all sacrifice. So we've been looking at these things, but I don't just want to appreciate the imagery today. I actually want to pull in all the imagery, all the things we've learned, and actually put that to work, put that to work in conversations. Like, let's set it down into conversations in our living room. Let's think about it when we're having conversations in hallways and maybe late nights and long car rides and tough decisions and disappointment and grief and new directions and new opportunities. What does all that mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? The verses we're actually going to look at today give a series of ongoing choices, ongoing choices that you can make as a follower of Jesus, that you're called to make. Decisions related to faith and hope and love. Actually, some high-stakes decisions, some ongoing choices that we're called to make. And depending on where you are, depending on the life circumstances, some of these decisions may actually come quite naturally, and some may require a lot of discipline. Some may feel pretty easy, but depending on the stage of life, Some of the things that we're called to are actually going to feel quite hard. Some are going to take courage. Some you're going to feel some amount of momentum and others maybe not so much. Some are going to seem like really big earth-changing things and others may be rather small and just seem to be ordinary. But if you self-identify as a Christian, this passage is going to make some things clear to you. And if, actually, if you're not a Christian or if that's not something you would identify with, I hope maybe, just maybe, of all Sundays that you could be here, this would be a perfect one for you to actually understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So this is where I'd like for us to focus for just a few minutes today is that really focus on that 19 to 25 that Greg read a moment ago. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be, but we're also going to occasionally glimpse into the rest of the chapter as well. You'll notice in right there in verse 19, And actually, you'll notice that in verse 21, there are two senses, right? Two times the word since is used. And I think that's significant because whatever decisions and choices that we're called on to make, they're going to make sense in light of what is laid down in 
verse 19, 20, and 21. So can we look at that? It's like the work of Jesus clearly going first here. So verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. You see that word since there. And verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So there's more to it, but notice in verse 19, verse 21, the word since there. To understand it, we have to appreciate like what is this holy place that's being talked about. It's the very presence of God. It's the place where God rules, where God sees all, where God knows all, where God is in charge of all. And what it says is since we have confidence to enter that place, the very presence of God, since we have confidence, confidence to enter. Confidence can be subjective and in this way, it's also objective. It's subjective in the sense like there is a freedom, there is a, a feeling like I have the right and permission to enter this place. I have confidence to enter. But then you get on the subjective side. You may feel that confidence, but you feel it because objectively, what Christ has done, the blood he has shed, through his blood we can enter. Or it gives us a picture of even like his flesh as the curtain. Remember, we talked about the curtain in the tabernacle. Like a picture of that is his flesh, which was torn so that we could come through and have access to this new and living way. And add to this in verse 21, we also have not just a thing done for us, but we have a person, a great priest, who eternally is mediating a relationship with God, our Father, eternally being the go-between. We have a priest over the house of God. With Jesus having done what he's done, since all that is the case, then we have responsibilities. And the way these responsibilities take place is, so you have two senses and you have three let uses. The three times in the next few verses, you have let us, let us, let us. In light of what Jesus has done, then we have a responsibility that is evident. You and me, like it's saying, you and me, let us do this. Let us take this action. The results are gonna be good for us. They're actually going to be the best for us. So in light of what Jesus has done, the writer of Hebrews doesn't assume automatically something's going to happen. He actually calls on you, calls on me to make the choices and make the decisions to live in light of that. You're about to hear some pretty strong exhortations from Hebrews, like strong words, strong words of encouragement that are going to call on you and I like, let's do this. So where is that? In verse 22, Verse 22, it says, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us approach God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. What is this verse telling us? It's telling us we can approach God. This is worship language. And this isn't even like worship like gathered worship that we do together on Sundays. This is all of life kind of worship that all the time we can approach God. Let us draw near to him 
a life of worship to him, an opportunity to pray to him. I was watching a uh, documentary yesterday because that's what I do. I watch documentaries. And this particular documentary was going into the Middle East and looking at like ancient sites that had like were still remaining. And one of the sites had like these steps leading up to a platform. And the archaeologist and the, the guide were talking about what is that for? Why the platforms and then, it, why the steps and then this platform? He said, well, the gods of this time required you to be as close as you could be to them geographically. So you had to be up there high enough to where you could get the gods' attention. And just that in my mind, seeing visual picture of people having to work so hard to carve steps to get to a platform where maybe just maybe the gods would hear their prayer. How different that felt to me than everything I had been reading all week in Hebrews. It says it isn't about finding the right place geographically on this earth where you could be at a certain elevation where God, maybe if he's in a good mood, hears you. But how different it is when you have this standing invitation. Approach, approach, draw near, draw near to God. It may be today that you feel like that's the last thing you're worthy of doing. Maybe you look back at your not so impressive track record in your relationship with God. Not so impressive track record of obedience and faithfulness. And you go, how could I ever approach God? And I would say, if it was about your track record, you couldn't. If it was about my diligent obedience, I'd never make it. But we have an invitation that says, let us draw near. Let us approach God. I want you to feel the weight of what God is telling you to do. Draw near with full assurance, like sincerely and fully believing in him. I think it probably is going to take us all a lifetime to work out that complete assurance because I'm, I'm sure there's always going to be a moment like, am I really supposed to be here in your presence, Lord? But the answer is going to be yes because of what Jesus has done. Purified from a, a sense of guilt, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Because our guilt has been taken away. We don't have to carry that any longer. And the idea, I love the picture. It's like something internal. Your heart's sprinkled clean. But then it says your body's washed with water. I have to, have to think that's at least a reference. A reference to what baptism signifies. Something internal has happened. And so we go public with that externally. By saying this is what I believe has happened internally. So I told you, I think this is going to bring us a series of choices a series of high-stakes decisions. And one of those would be, if I framed it, it would be this way. Keep drawing near. Keep drawing near. Do everything you can to not drift away. Keep drawing near. Do everything you can to not drift away. What stabilizes your life? Drawing near to God. And I understand these words are putting a lot of emphasis on what you and I do. And I, I believe it. We can go to many other places in Scripture where it's going to say, God is the one who gives you the strength. So I want to acknowledge that. It is God who is at work in you. And yet I don't want to turn down the volume at all on what Hebrews is saying. And that is you and I, we have a responsibility and we have an opportunity to draw near. So keep drawing near. Do everything you can to not drift away because actually the rest of the chapter is going to begin to paint a picture of what it looks like when you turn your back 
on drawing near, and it's spiritually devastating. You hear the concern. Look at verse 26. So here's the alternative to drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, well, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What does that mean? It's telling us if we know the good news and we say, I don't think that's actually what I need. I think I got another plan mapped out for me other than the good news of Jesus. I'll do what I, what I want to do. I'll do what I think I know I need to do. But it won't be the route of Jesus. Then I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what else can help you at that point? Like you've turned on your back on the only prospects for help, then the prospects actually are not finding the mercy of God, it's finding the judgment of God. And it's, it's stark language, isn't it? Like a f- fury of fire. It's, it's explained even more in verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, this was the old covenant, the old law, whoever sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, but how much worse punishment? I mean, do the exercise. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, has outraged or insulted the spirit of grace? Such serious words. I do wonder if such words that are so serious, if we even have ears to hear them anymore. I wonder if we get so inundated with this video, which launches into another video that makes us laugh, makes us, you know. I wonder if we've watched hours and hours of this program, these scores, this update. Because what, what, I, what I know, we all know this, right? Afternoon talk shows, the Today Show doesn't go in this direction very often, does it? Like when you're talking about facing the judgment of God. We're so desensitized that maybe we don't think about how real this is, but it feels so personal, doesn't it? So who is the person who treats the Son of God in a cheap way as if whatever you have, Jesus, is worthless to me? Who treats God that way? This is what it's asking. Who turns their back on this one who gave everything? It even says, like, who considers the blood, the shed blood of Jesus, which is the blood of the covenant, the agreement that God has made with his people, who looks at that, which could cause us to be free from guilt, and says, I'm not seeing the big deal here. Who does that? Who would insult the spirit of grace so the spirit of grace comes to move and shows undeserved favor, wants to communicate to us in this room the undeserved favor of God, and we go, don't really have time for that. So you begin to see why actually it is a serious, serious picture. You can understand the judgment language Christians are meant to realize. Yeah, we may live in this world where it seems all about us, but this just rips that out totally and says, no, no, no. There's something serious and something big at stake. It's about the Son of God who shed His blood in the Spirit of grace, who came to us when we didn't deserve it. What do we do with that? 
when you read these words, like when you think, like I need to keep drawing near and do everything I can not to drift away. I do understand in, in the words about sinning and sinning deliberately, this lands probably on many people with tender consciences before the Lord, sensitive toward things of God, and there's nothing I would want to do to diminish that sensitivity toward the Lord. But I do need to say, here's what I've seen over time. I've watched Christians with a sensitive conscience toward the Lord fight so hard in sin, fight so hard against sin, fight hard against lust and anger and bitterness, greed and materialism, using their words in ways that just destroy other people. And I've watched, I've watched Christians and I've realized by personal experience, like we fall, but then what's the remedy? We get up and we draw near again and we go near to God this time in confession and go, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all my sins. And we draw near again and again. We approach that throne of grace. So you're tender, sensitive before the Lord. I would say, here's the remedy. Don't run from the throne. Go to the Lord. Draw near to his throne. Draw near. I mean, it definitely, I mentioned it a minute ago, it starts with baptism and drawing near and, and saying, this is who I'm trusting in. I'm trusting in Jesus. And you heard on Good Friday, we're going to be gathered together to remember the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And we're drawing near to God in that way as well. And then we come together regularly in worship. We come together praying. We pray alone. We're drawing near to God. We're opening our day saying, my life, my time is yours, God. I'm drawing near to you. I'm drawing near to you and confessing my sin. Keep coming. Keep approaching God. And, and let's be honest, there will be times where you feel pretty close to God and times where you may not. Times where you think like, she has like the real connection to God. I have like a, an okay one. There are going to be times where you feel like that and yet, Here's what you're told to do. Here's what I'm told to do. Keep drawing near. Let's keep reading because we're, we're hearing like key decisions, ongoing choices we make in light of Jesus being a great high priest, in light of us having this new and living way. Look at verse 23. It says, here's another, let us, right? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. So what is that saying to us? It's giving us another like strong word here. Keep holding on. Keep holding on. Keep holding on. Do everything you can to not throw away your confidence. Keep holding on. Keep holding on to the core message of the gospel. Keep holding on, holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, hanging on to what we believe, choosing to not let go. Yes, not for a moment do we let go. We've made our profession. We've said, this is the, co this is the confidence we have. This is the hope we have in what Christ has done. And we know that God always has and always will keep his promises. We're going to hang on to what we verbally said. I believe this. I trust in this. Let us hold fast. Let's not let go. Hold on without wavering. What would cause you to waver? Actually, you get a glimpse into things that cause them potentially to waver. In verse 30, 32, it says, it says this, recall. This is like a, a trip in the past, and this isn't like a stroll down memory lane. These are some bitter, hard memories. But remember, remember the former days. 
Remember when you once were enlightened and after you were enlightened, you, en- you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Remember, this wasn't easy before. You can hold on now. Remember, sometimes you were publicly exposed. Sometimes everybody around you, everybody around you had a low impression of you. Publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were partners with those so treated. Remember, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew you yourselves had better possession and an abiding one. So, therefore, do not throw away your confidence because it has a great reward. What you need, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You know what this tells me? these original hearers, and I think it would extend in this room. They had done so many right things and were still getting beaten up because of it. Life was still getting hard because of it. And maybe they were tempted to waver. And maybe the question going through their mind is, how much cost do I really want to endure? How far do I want to go with paying this cost? Is there a relationship that would be 50% easier if I just kind of rethought my position on something? And then all those things would go smooth. I wouldn't be insulted. I wouldn't have to deal with some of the hardship if I just gave up something that I'm pretty convinced is right, but what if I just kind of let that go? And sometimes that's a, a, a quick letting it all go. Sometimes it's just gradual. And you find yourself in a very, very different spot. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that could be spiritually deadly. So hold on to your confession. Look at verse 34. Here's what you're hoping in. You're hoping in verse 34, a better abiding possession, something that could never be taken away. Verse 35, you're hoping for a great reward that God would see it all and make it right in the end when it like really, really counts. It counts now, but when it really, really counts. Verse 36, that you would receive what is promised, and that's God being there for you. This is our hope, and I shared this with you a few weeks back, but I love this description of hope from the Bible Project, guys. They say this, biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. And Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. I just want to acknowledge something. That and so we wait is hard. It's one more day, another night, another long night. It's one more hard conversation, one more disappointment. And that takes levels, if I go back to verse 35 and verse 36, it makes total sense to me why you'd say, you have need of endurance. I'm not sure he's saying you're wimping out. He's just going, the road you've got ahead of you is one that's hard. And for that, you are going to need endurance. Endurance is staying in a place sometimes longer than what would normally be expected. Endurance is holding on to a belief or holding on to an action in the face of opposition, standing 
your ground holding out. It's not a passive attitude. It's actually an active refusal to let go of your faith. The power to see things through. It struck me this week in two conversations, and I don't have to elaborate on the details, but one conversation with a good friend who's having all sorts of physical difficulties. And you know, we all know this, right? right? Physical difficulties, they begin to not just be physical, like it's not just going on the body, it begins to work on your emotions and it begins to work on your mental state and it begins to work on your spiritual state as well. And I had no magic wand to say, it's all better. Actually, what I had was, I'm gonna pray that you endure beyond what's normally expected. I had a conversation with a friend who is having some significant marital difficulties, marital challenges. And again, that doesn't stay contained either, does it? That gets into all sorts of emotional and mental and spiritual questions. Again, no pastoral magic wand, but lots of prayers to endure. We're walking thing, through things, friends of mine that definitely seem beyond what's expected. And I have to wonder, are they hearing voices? Maybe the same kinds of voices you're hearing? Like, sure, you can quit, right? I don't even know what quitting would look like, but surely you don't have to, like, hang in there. And maybe you feel, Curtis, that's where I am. I don't know that there's a better alternative, but I feel overcommitted. I feel drained. I feel like I am wishy-washy up one moment down in the depths of despair. I'm, I'm struggling. And we hear this word endure. A song that I came across probably a couple months ago. It's real simple. But it's just kind of articulated, I think, where life feels like it is sometimes and feels like it is for friends and sometimes personally. So here are the words, today we hurt, but one day we won't. So sit and feel the ache today and grieve, but not without hope. And today we weep, but one day we won't. So wail and cry those tears today and grieve, but not without hope. And today we mourn, but one day we won't. So stand and sing the songs today and grieve, but not without hope. Because hallelujah, there's a far side of our sorrow. Hallelujah, there's a hope beyond the grave. We are not without hope. So keep holding on. Do everything you can to not throw away your confidence. There's one more let us here, and it's in verse 24. One more decision, one more series of choices we can make. Verse 24, let us consider, give thought to, make it our business to be concerned about, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These verses here, if you grew up in a, in a church environment where church leadership kind of expected you, expected everybody to be there every time the doors were open and the doors were open all the time, you know this verse. You've heard this verse a lot. And yet, said in Hebrews, I hear it come alive in a very different way. 
what it's telling us is keep showing up. Keep showing up. Do everything you can to not walk away from gathering together. Yeah, there may be seasons of life, seasons of health that you can't gather regularly, but make it a priority. You're disappointed with the people of God, make it a priority to keep showing up. You're hurting, you're struggling, make it a priority. You have other pursuits that happen to fall on gathering times with other believers, keep showing up. Gathering becomes an inconvenience, keep showing up. I think this is talking more about a lifestyle than it is even Sunday morning at 11 o'clock where you show up. I mean, I, I do think it means that. I just think it means more than that. It's interesting talking to people where, this may be a lot of us, where this at some point in your life was less of priority. You made excuses, rationalizations. But then one day it clicked like, no, no, no. These are the people I want shaping my life. I know they're not perfect, but actually these are the voices I need to hear. These are the friends I want wisdom from, so I'm going to show up. And you make an additional decision. You don't just show up, but you also make it your concern. You give thought and energy to not just show up, but to stir others up. So it actually has this chain effect where other people are also, because you showed up, and made it your concern to stir them up to love and do good, to show love and do good things. Others benefit. Encourage each other. Like use your words to infuse people with strength. Infuse them with courage. Because there's this backdrop. There's a day approaching. There's a day approaching and it seems like that's the day of judgment when like the time for doing this will be done and we'll walk by We'll actually walk by sight. We won't have to walk by faith any longer. So here, kind of bringing it back full circle, if your life feels uncertain and destabilized and you can't maybe even put your finger on it, it just is not what it was and it, it doesn't feel good and it feels very uncomfortable and you're trying to find your footing, then I believe God knows exactly what you need. And maybe, just maybe, in his love for you, he brought you here this morning and opened your ears, not just, not just to hear the words of a pastor, but hear God's voice deep in your soul, giving you exactly what you need. You know, sometimes I read words of scripture, and it's almost like watching a little bit of basketball this week. It's almost like the, the coach bringing everybody into the huddle and going, you can do this. This is who you are. You can do this. You're ready. Only... The last verse in chapter 10 isn't the words of a, a coach. It's directed by the very Spirit of God. And I want, you to, I want you to see it, verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Remember who you are. You are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You are going to make it. Hebrews is telling us, you aren't going to quit. So keep drawing near. Keep holding on. Keep showing up. Let's ask for the Lord's help to do those things. Father, it's a good word. It's a good reminder. It's a hard word. It's a hard reminder. But I pray you give grace. Reminded of the words of Paul where he says, I can do all things 
through Christ who infuses me with strength. And so that's our prayer, Lord. You've given us the exhortation through your word. Keep us drawing near. Keep us holding on. Keep us showing up. Give us this grace. For the glory of your son, we pray. All this in his name. Amen.